So we've got Biblical Soul Care Sunday School is where you are right now. Um, we are continuing the fruits of the Spirit uh, with the fruit of joy that we're considering right now. But first, before we go into definitions and, and into the meat of our study, how do you think uh, your unbelieving friends and neighbors and coworkers would define joy? Happiness. What Whatever circumstances now that are going on make them um, pleasing, you know, circumstances. Yeah, it would be based on... What, what's going on with you right there. Yeah, based on circumstances, based on what's going on with them. And for joy, when we're talking about joy, they'd be like, well, things are going well. Mm-hmm. Things are easy, right? Anything else? What do you think? What are some of the things that then bring them joy? Silverado. Silverado. Oh, nice truck. Yeah. <laughs> Family. Mm-hmm. Material. Yeah, like stuff. Nice stuff. Houses, cars. Experiences. Experiences. Promotion at work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Money. Promotions, money, recognition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Winning the lottery. <laughs> Their sports team doing well. Ooh. <laughs> the Chiefs. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the most joyful person you know? You have to tell me who it is, but just think think about that person for a moment. Someone who you think, man, I wish I had joy like that person. What is it about them that stands out? Like, why do you say they're a joyful person? What do you observe about that person that says, there's somebody who has joy? No matter how bad it gets, they always see the good. Okay. They're always smiling and thinking about other people even when their life is falling apart. Okay, so there's a selflessness there. Mm-hmm. Peaceful demeanor. Okay. Peaceful demeanor. And it's not just when things, uh, Brooke mentioned that, it's not just when things are good, uh, but when things are hard or when things that would probably annoy or frustrate or anger or sadden me, they're not that way. So there's kind of this steadiness, right? There's a, a stability. I'd say someone who's not a complainer. Not a complainer. Ouch. They're serving others in some way. They're serving. Not taking advantage of you. Yeah. They don't use people for things? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anything else? They enjoy making others laugh Mm -hmm. and finding the good in what their situation is, too. It's not just their own mm-hmm. self, it's, it spreads. 
Yeah, and we've some of these things are they're not like easily visible, like smiling and laughing and things like that. That those are, but that can be faked, right? We can we can fake that. I can smile when really inside I'm full of envy or jealousy or anger. Um, but if you know the person, there's this this kind of underlying. You know a little bit what's what's going on in their lives, and there's still that kind of peaceful, calm selfless, uh, sacrificial service to other people. They're looking to the problems of other people and not just themselves. They're not complaining about things. All of those things are great. So now, are you that kind of person? Are you a joyful person? We're going to go around the room and everybody's going to tell... I'm just kidding. (laughs) But... Think, of, think about that, and as we go through the lesson, we're going to kind of talk about what, what is joy biblically? What are the things in the Bible that should bring us joy? And how do we kind of understand, how ought we to understand joy in our own walk with the Lord and through our own lives? So, um, like I said earlier, we're, we're going through the fruit of the Spirit, and that's in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And there's kind of the... the Starting text there, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Uh, So our objective today is we're going to read several texts about joy, mention joy and rejoicing, and we're going to try to glean what it looks like in the lives of believers. That's That's our goal. So, first question I have, the first real point there is is what is the foundation of our joy we have to consider the the fruits of the spirit in the context of what Paul is writing to the Galatians so based on your background knowledge of you who have studied Galatians before what are they what are they messing up a lot lot. they're (laughs) messing up a lot of things Uh, Paul's very concerned what is he getting on to them about Yeah, they're they're mixing grace, faith alone in Christ with Mosaic law, because the Judaizers had come in and they're teaching them, hey, well, actually, what you really need to do is you need to get circumcised. Like that's that's how you that's how you really get in, and that was a huge problem. It's a huge concern, and the, and the church was a significant number of those in the church were were going that way. So Paul is very concerned about the Galatians. Um, and so there, there's another thing that I was, as I was reading to prepare, it was kind of an interesting take that it made me think of our day. I think it, in American context, we have a, our culture, strong or not, healthy culture, not healthy culture right now. American culture, just America. Not good right now, right? So um, there, there was, and, and so as I think about our culture and, and how, like, for example, if you think about um, you know, how to live a holy life in the midst of this culture, um, we do need to think about issues of obedience and purity and righteousness. Um, but in the midst of a culture, when we're teaching new believers we have to be careful that we are sticking to the gospel and not like behavior modifications. Like behavior modifications will come and they are necessary, but 
one commentator was making the point that, that a lot of these Pharisees were looking at the culture of the, of the Galatians, and they were like, yikes, there is rampant paganism and wickedness all around there. We've got, let's teach them the law of Moses so they can just start to get the basics of their behavior down. And so that was at least part of, in their minds, what they're trying to address. And I've never really considered that. I've always just thought, those Judaizers, they just, they just want everybody to be like them. And there's probably an element of that. But there's also a part where we're looking at a culture, and like, like ours today, in, in a sense, which is filled with a lot of wickedness. And they were like, well, let's, let's kind of get them started over here. Let's see. They, gotta, they need to obey the law of Moses because there's no way they can be Christians right now coming out of that. So that's it. that was an interesting uh, comment. But as we look at the book of Galatians and how Paul is saying, you do not add works to your salvation. Mm-hmm. And if, if you do it, Christ is nothing, no advantage to you, he says. So let's look here, just the, the, the brief um, context there, at, backing up to Galatians 5.19, and we have another list, not the fruits of the Spirit, but what he calls the works of the flesh. So let's read that. We're going to answer a question. We're going to kind of compare the two lists. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So what are, what are some differences between those two lists? Some things you notice. So the first list is all about me, and, and it's what comes naturally. Do you need any help to learn how to do the first list? We don't, we don't need help with that. All that's necessary is we just let our flesh, we just do what comes naturally. I just give in to any kind of a whim or a temptation or a passion or something that I want, a desire, and it's going to go that way. Right? That, those are the works of the flesh. What about the second list? Kind of getting into the question number six. Are those natural? That second list there. They are not natural. They are not what comes easily to us in our sinful flesh. What do we need then to be able to have love and joy and all the rest? Something outside of ourselves. Mm-hmm. 
It's time in nature. It's going to go on nature walks. <laughs> Look at the stars. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to have these attributes. Yeah. That's a good point. The second group is fruit. First list are things that come naturally, things that we just want to do in our sinfulness. The second list is something that we don't naturally want to do, that humans don't want to do because we are sinful. So why is that distinction important to keep in mind when we are discipling someone or giving advice or counsel? Why is it important to remember the differences in those two lists? I think if you don't have the spirit, these things are going to be fleeting. I mean, even if you exhibit some of the fruits, they won't be lasting. Mm -hmm. But if you do have the spirit, then these things are possible. Yeah. They should be exhibited. Yeah, it it will affect. Let's just talk about me as a counselor, as the one who's providing the counsel. If I forget that these are the fruits of, this is the fruit of the spirit, then I can start counseling somebody like, what's wrong with you? Try a little harder. Come on. You, you should have love. I should see more joy in you. You're complaining. Are you ever going to grow up? Like, I can start to get in that, and I probably wouldn't ever say that, or else probably somebody needs to get a new counselor. But, um, but I, if that is my attitude, and I'm just expecting them to change behavior so they can have these fruits in their life, just like a change of behavior would maybe have them stop cussing. That, that's wrong. It's a wrong way to think about it. It's also, for the counselee, it's hope-giving. Who's doing this in my heart? The Holy Spirit is. Is anything too hard for him? Can he enable me to have victory over this pattern of sin, over my complaining, over my selfishness or my bitterness, over my anger? The Holy Spirit and dwells the believer and is available to strengthen you and help you to obey. So that is, the Holy Spirit is a prerequisite to, to have this fruit. Okay. Now, another interesting thing is, is that word fruit, and I, I keep slipping up here and I'm going to say it probably a dozen more times, but um, it's actually not fruits. These are not separate fruits that like you have some of these fruits and then as you, you know, but you don't have to worry about the other ones until later. Now, the, the fruit singular of the Spirit are, is this list. So if you're a believer, if you have the Holy Spirit, you're going to have some measure of these things in your life. So that is something to keep in mind also. So joy, if we're specifically thinking about joy in Galatians 5.22, it's translated from a Greek word, kara, which is not how you pronounce it, but I don't know how you do it. So, and it means to be joyful, right? It's, it's exceeding gladness. It's great happiness, delight. So normally, you have to have something underneath that. You don't walk around glad about nothing, <coughs> joyful about nothing. 
to Christian joy, it, there is a, this emotion. It is an emotional response to something, um, but it's not just based on circumstances, like Carol pointed out. The the world around us, they're primarily going to be basing their joy on what they're going through, how their bank account looks, um, how they're feeling physically or emotionally, how uh, their family is doing, what work is like. Those are the things that their joy is rooted in. And so when those things shift, their joy is gone. But for the Christian, it's deeper than that. It is like a, a state of being. It's that calm, steady, peaceful joy because our joy is in Christ. Our joy is not fleeting and dependent on good things happening. So, if, if joy is a, a, an emotional response, not just emotional response, but it, it's at least that, why is it fair, why is it good or right for Paul to command it? In Philippians 4, for example, where he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. The world's going to hear that, and I'm like, how are you, how do you, you can't do that unless you're lying to yourself. Is it a sin to not be joyful? So sin could be contributing to your lack of joy, right? But if I'm not joyful right now, see, let's say circumstances are normal. Not wonderful, not terrible, it's just kind of, is it wrong, is it sinful for me as a Christian to not be joyful? I just have a baseline of kind of complaining and discontentment in my heart. It's like, I don't say anything. You might not know it. But is that sinful? I think that one throws us, but if we were to change it out and say, is it ever sinful to not be loving? It's a fruit of the Spirit. It makes it a little more clear. Mm -hmm. So, and what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to differentiate between what joy looks like and kind of separate that from just like happy-go-lucky and smiley all the time. Right? Uh, But it, it is a sin not to have joy. I think as Christians we need to remind ourselves uh, the fact that our joy is based on uh, (laughs) There he is! (laughs) It's based on when we're not joyful uh, we're saying we don't have, I mean we're eliminating Christ from our lives. Yeah, we are becoming focused on something other than Christ. Because if we think about what God has done for us in Christ, if we think about the character of God, the kindness and mercy and love of God, the power and sovereignty, the wisdom and knowledge of God, and we can't have joy in that, 
that that's a that's a sinful attitude towards our God. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm not saying that you're not going to cry if you're crying about something. Stop it. We're not, that's not what we're saying. We're going to see that in several scriptures here in just a little bit. That joy does not mean you don't cry at times. It does not mean that you don't hurt or you're not saddened by things. Paul himself, we're going to see, had those things going on. But where is your joy? Okay. And we're going to have to extend each other grace. Because sometimes if you look at me and I'm, I look pretty upset or I'm looking sad or something, it, it may be that I don't have joy. But it also may be I'm going through something hard and, and that I'm fighting for joy in my heart. And so there, there were going to be some things where you give me grace and you come, come and ask me questions, come engage me on that. But, but you, we're not going to be able to be just looking at, oh, that person doesn't look upset. They look upset. I'm going to say that they don't have joy. Oh, got to go. Hey, sinner. Yeah, we don't want to do that. <laughs> right? That could it be? Maybe it could be that they don't have joy and that they're complaining or discontent. But it could be that joy is just deeper than what we're used to seeing it as. Okay, so to summarize that that point, God commands us in Scripture to be joyful because He is worthy of our amazement, our thankfulness, our worship, and our devotion. So because of this, it is it is sinful not have a deep, joyful response to him and all that he's done for us. Okay? So, what in Scripture then? I'm going to need some help. What in Scripture brings joy? And this is by not by any means an exhaustive list, but these are some things that, that we can gather here. Um, so can someone go to Psalm 96 and read verses 10 through 13? Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. He will judge the people with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea explore and all it contains. Let the field exult and all that is in it. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy. Before the Lord, So what about God can we rejoice in, if we have joy in, about his character from Psalm 96? He is a just judge. Yeah. Creator. He's the creator. So there's power. We can be joyful that he's the, the power that created all things that we see. And he's going to judge everything. So all the injustice and the corruption that can really get me upset. He will bring it all. He will make it right. Not one act of injustice, not one uh, corrupt word or thought will, will go unpunished. Very good. And there, I mean, we get a lot of these. You might have some favorite verses too, but we're going to, for the sake of time, we'll try to move through here. Um, can somebody read Nehemiah 8? 9 through 12. And Nehemiah, who 
was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way. Eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And the people and all the people went their way to eat and drink and send portions and to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Yeah. So God's word, imagine like that would have been a, an interesting, a wonderful sight to see that they are rejoicing, and it gives us the reason. Why are they rejoicing? Is because they understood the words that were declared to them. They're understanding the teaching of, of the law of the Lord. Um, Psalm 119, we're going through that at, in the evenings with the girls, and it is over and over and over again through the whole psalm is, I love your word, I love your precepts, I love your commandments, I keep your testimonies. They bring joy, they bring peace. Over and over and over, all through that psalm, is David just loving and thinking about the laws of God. It's amazing that he would even do it at all. I think that's what brings me joy, that he cares enough about us to warn us in a way that we understand and then provide that ability to, through the Holy Spirit, to um, be saved from it, from that slavery. So his, his laws are beautiful because he actually was willing to tell us. Mm -hmm. He was willing to talk to us. Yeah. The law is beautiful to David because it reveals God. Yeah. It reveals his character. It is, reveals his will for how David could live. So that was something he, he worshipped God for his law. He was so thankful for it. Um, Psalm, uh, I'll just read Psalm 19. Uh, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. Let's skip down to verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, Rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes, and so on. There is it's David thinking about the law. Next, letter C, we have joy and salvation, or union with Christ, or living for Christ. Uh, someone read John 15, 11, and someone else grab Colossians 1, 9 through 13. <coughs> These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Wow. Yeah. To have the joy of Christ. Colossians 1. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, 
May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It's the gospel message. Our right response to the gospel, to being redeemed, forgiven of our sins, transferred into his kingdom, is joy. And that doesn't change with the circumstances. We'll see, letter D, that we have joy in the Holy Spirit. It's when we get Acts 13, 51. Fifty-two. I'm gonna say that didn't sound right. <laughs> and the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, especially in the new, new the New Testament, we have uh, be filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Those are two um, linked commonly in in Scripture. So there is the Holy Spirit brings joy. Romans fourteen. Someone have Romans 14, verse 17? For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Joy in the Holy Spirit. All right. Moving on. Letter E. There's joy in evangelism. 1 John 1. Someone have that one through four? That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen heard we proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship was with the father and with the son jesus christ and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete so not only do we have joy in the lord we have joy in what he's done for us in salvation Uh, we have joy in the telling of those things we want others to hear it and there's joy in that joy in uh, preaching the gospel, sharing our testimony. Letter F, anticipation of heaven. Someone read Philippians 
So there is a joy when we recognize and, and know that he's coming back and he's going to make us right. He's going to give us a new body and all things will be made right and we're going to enjoy him forever. So that, that hope of heaven is joy giving. First Peter 8 9 I have, uh, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And we can go on. There's a joy in that anticipation of what is ahead. There's a joy in fellow believers. Second Timothy 1.4 is Paul writing to his dear friend Timothy and he says as I remember your tears I long to see you that I may be filled with joy I'm reminded of your sincere faith the faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and he's just as Paul's remembering Timothy he's longing to see Timothy because there's a joy when friends get together that is a good thing Also, Philemon 7 mentions that. Philippians 4, 1. There's a, there's a closeness and a desire to see one another, to be, uh, to enjoy one another. It's a great thing. And there's discipleship. Someone, someone get uh, 1 Thessalonians 2.20. For you are our glory and joy. Yeah. So you are our glory and joy. He's not saying ultimate, but he's there is a joy there between them. And then um, third John verse four, very well known verse, that I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. When someone you've discipled or shared the gospel with or I had the privilege of leading them to Christ and, and you see them years later and their, their, their faith is deep and vibrant. They love the Lord. They're serving in their church. They are just following God. There's a joy in that. Then there's generosity. Second Chronicles, we won't go there, but that's the story of um, David giving of his own treasure his own wealth to build the temple that Solomon is going to build. And the whole uh, nation of Israel starts giving uh, generos- generosity. And they uh, start to rejoice because they had the privilege of giving to the temple, to that, that great work. Uh, and then we see it in the Philippian church as well. Paul tells them at the end, thank you, your, your gifts. You're the ones who, who sent and provided for my needs time and again. I've received it. It's a fragrant offering. 
there's a joy that the Philippians had, and they were not wealthy. Some of them were, but most of them were not wealthy. But they had a joy in giving to the needs of Paul to support his ministry. And then finally, children, and I'll go to, it's Proverbs chapter 23. I'll read it to you. It says, um, Listen to your father, verse 22, who gave you life, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom and instruction and understanding. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who, he who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and mother be glad. Let him, her who bore you rejoice. So that's an encouragement to children to listen to your parents. Do what they're teaching you. Follow their wisdom. And that brings joy to them. So, there, and there are many, many other things. Does anybody have something that's on your mind? Like, he missed this one on the list. Something that, that in the scripture is a source of joy. Yeah. Yeah. This party goes on when when the lost sheep comes home. Others? Okay. One that I'm just thinking of right now, I don't know why I didn't think of it, but there's a joy in unity. Uh, as a as a church, as believers, there's joy in that. We sing a song about it, of how good it is, right? The family of God, when we're together in unity. Yeah. So, we're going to transition now to, those are the things, those are some of the things, it's not an exhaustive list, like I said, of, of things that should lead to joy in our lives. Um, so what does it look like then, or what can it look like when these things are true in you? Like we already kind of said earlier, it does not mean that we're smiling all the time. Okay, so let's look at what it doesn't have to look like. Here, there on page three, um, we are commanded to rejoice in the Lord at all times. We should consider what it can look like in the midst of unpleasant times or even times of great suffering. In the following text, we're going to consider how believers have displayed joy. So, but first, we're going to look at what... It is, does not have to look like. So look at Habakkuk. We're going to fill in a blank there. Joy does not have to look like blank. Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. So for those of you who know a little bit about Habakkuk, what is, he, what is happening in the context there? They're about to go into They're about to be judged by God for their sinfulness and judged by a nation who is a horrific sinful nation and Habakkuk is seeing this he's, God's telling him it's coming 
And he's saying, okay, so my joy cannot be in the success and the thriving culture around me. The fact that my, I'm secure in our nation. So joy does not have to look like, in this exact con- context, crops doing well, animals, my wealth is growing. It does not have to look like prosperity. If I don't have the money that I want, or my investments aren't doing right, or the retirement's not looking good, or I didn't get the promotion, or the raise, or the things that I was counting on, that is not what my joy is in. If all of those things fail, and I am jobless tomorrow, can I say with Habakkuk, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Does that mean I have to laugh about it? No, it's going to be difficult. That's, going to, that's a scary thing to have happen, right? And I'm sure Habakkuk had days after he wrote that where it wasn't so easy. But there's the, the thing about joy is there's a coming back to, okay, I, my joy is in the Lord, in the God of my salvation. He is not going to change. Okay, the next one, Romans 9, 1 and 2. So that would be like, Prosperity, wealth, mm-hmm. success. That's a good question. We should call in. No, just. Yeah, it's, it's a great question that he'll have to answer. Um, joy does not have to look like blank. In Romans 9, 1 and 2, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. This is Paul. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. And and again, in the context there, he's talking about his nation, Israel, God's chosen people in the Old Covenant, and they are rejecting the Messiah. And he has great sorrow and unceasing anguish because he wants them to be saved. Jesus is the fulfillment of all that they have been thinking about and trying to obey in the law. Jesus is the fulfillment of those things, and they have rejected him. And there, and I imagine it's it's similar to the anguish and sorrow that you feel when a loved one is walking away from the faith or rejects God. A dear friend walks away someone who has ministered with you or to you. Maybe it is a, a hero from your childhood and they reject him. There is an anguish and a sorrow in that. And you don't have to smile about it. And it's, you don't have to be like, well, yes, you don't have to worry about that guy anymore. No, there is a sorrow that Paul feels. And it wasn't just they were walking away from Christ. They were, they were trying to kill Paul following him around, beating him, throwing him in the prison, wanting him to be out of the way. And he had sorrow and anguish in his heart because he wanted them to know the joy of the Lord. The third blank, I did not space this out very well, but we'll have to 
go between. Look at Philippians 3.17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. So joy does not have to be the absence of what? Tears. There's weeping. People that, that Paul loved, ministered with, ministered to, they walked away. He's told them many times with tears, and now, even now, as he's writing, he's his tears are coming down his face because he's, he knows the state of their eternity if they don't repent. First Thessalonians 1.6 And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And then James 1 and 2, or sorry, 1, 2 and 3 um, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Joy does not have to be the absence of what there? Trials and afflictions. Trials, afflictions, persecution, rejection by people. There's also Hebrews 10.34, which talks about you accepted the plundering of your goods with joy. So, again, there, there's other, other things that we could probably put in here that joy does not mean that things are not hard or that they're not unpleasant or that when they are there, I have to just smile and get through it. But, we're going to talk about this a lot more next week. What do I do then to maintain my focus on the Lord, to have joy in the Lord when those things happen? Let's look at what joy can look at. Just a, just a couple. Of, there's thousands of examples we, should, we could go to text, but look at um, Exodus 15. Um, this is, is Israelites escape um, the Pharaoh, as he's chasing him, because he changed his mind again. But Exodus 15 is the song of Moses after God judges them. And Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them, and they went down to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. And he goes on. But joy can look like singing. 
they sang this song. It can look like writing uh, hymns. And the reason given, why, why is Moses and Israel singing for joy? Lord is their strength. The Lord is with them. He's on their side. Why is that a good thing? Well, he has triumphed gloriously. He's a man of war. He's gonna he's fighting for them. So after victory over Pharaoh, we also have in 2 Samuel 6. This is the return of the ark uh, back to Israel. And it was told King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. And by the way, this is, they had tried to do it the wrong way. And then I think it was, it was Uzzah who put out his hand to touch the, the ark to keep it from falling and God struck him dead. And then David's like, I, what? never mind, we're just going to take it over there. I don't want it near me. And David was angry. That God would strike him dead where he was trying to keep it from falling. Well, there's a lot of things going on in there. But they were not carrying the ark of God the way that God told them to carry it. And so they were treating God's law, his requirements, as suggestions and optional. They, they did not have the appropriate attitude toward God. So, and then so they set it over at Obed-Edom's house and... All of his stuff started to go well, that God was blessing them. And then, so David went and brought up the ark that God, ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephah. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark to the, of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. So what does joy look like there? Just dancing. Just dancing. So in a little bit, when we play music and, and the praise, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> you don't have to, but. <laughs> so, but they're, they're, David's dancing. All, and a lot of people, as they're bringing the ark back to God, they're so overjoyed that they're dancing. And they're shouting. And they have instruments playing. There's a horn. There's a lot of rejoicing. What's the reason for that? Why are they rejoicing? The ark, which is the symbol of God's presence with his people, was coming back. Was... And nobody died. And nobody died. Yeah. <laughs> nobody died this time. Yeah. So there, there was joy. And the Lord's presence with them is that, that representation of Yahweh with his people. And last one we'll consider this morning, Psalm 2, 10 through 12. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. What does joy look like here?
obedience and submission. There is not just like a, when you're just joyful, you just let everything fly and it's just anything goes because we're joyful. Now, there's, there's an exuberance in David, but like here in this context, there is a trembling and there's a fear with their rejoicing. There's a seriousness to our God that we don't just, and, and another example would be um, Aaron's sons, when they offered strange fire, what happened? Why can't we just offer whatever fire we want? It's, it's fire. It's, we're doing it to worship the Lord. No, you, the Lord, you come to the Lord on his terms. We worship the Lord how he has prescribed for us. There's not this whatever, anything you think and whatever you say goes. It's, there's a trembling, there's a fear. It's rejoicing, but there's a serious element to it. Because you know who you're dealing with. You're dealing with the king of kings. So, before we wrap up, any other examples or any other examples of joy that you like to share or comment on? What can joy look like? It can be serious. It can be exuberant and dancing. It can be singing. It also be it can be with trembling. So joy is possible at all times, and our joy is to be rooted in what we know about God. He is the powerful Creator. He's the sovereign ruler, the righteous judge, loving Father. These truths are the foundation that supports our joy. And next week, we're going to, to seek to answer the question, how, how do I encourage and foster greater and deeper joy in the Lord, in my own heart and in the hearts and lives of the people who I disciple and um, mentor or counsel? So that's what we're, we're after next week. So I hope to see you then. Thanks.